So as I sit here and I look at you, you're looking at me. I see a bunch of faces, you just see me. But whether I'm looking at a bunch of people or you're looking at one, as Christians, what are people supposed to see? Supposed to see Jesus. Like our lives are supposed to be a mirror of his. Our church is supposed to be a collection, a mosaic of lives that make a composite that the world would see who he is. Now, that's for the better or the worse. If you read through church history, it's sometimes you go, oh, that was a poor, poor reflection of Jesus in the world. And at other times you can sit and go, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. I want to remind us tonight of the power of the church, what, what, what the church is supposed to be. Y- you and I are supposed to be that facsimile, that prox, not a, a close approximation of Jesus, but we're supposed to be the living expression of who he is in, in kind. It, it, it's supposed to be this, when people see us, they, they see his character. When they listen to us, they hear his words. When they receive a touch from us, they receive some impartation of his grace. Our, our lives are supposed to, in purity and in power, show him and represent him. I want to ask you just to reflect. The Bible says we're supposed to assess where we are in our faith. We're supposed to do that individually. I think it's helpful to do it collectively. Where do you think we are in that as, a, as an individual? Where do you think we are as that as a collection of people? I, I hope that there's some sort of close approximation that the world sees when they look at us. But I, I think there's always more that can be done. And so tonight I want to draw our attention to how you and I can help kind of close the gap in our lives personally so that the corporate reflection of Jesus in this place that he's called us to, that the Brooklyn Tabernacle would be, forget about the name, that this church would be something that is a reflection of his physical body in the world through our lives. I pray tonight that God takes this word and he burns it somewhere into our soul that it doesn't come out, that it stays and it builds momentum and it drives us into the future that God's called us to. You know, some of you might know this. I have a son that uh, my wife and I have adopted from Ethiopia. His name is Levi. And Levi is one of the treasures of our life. I'm so thankful to Ethiopia for this gift that we've received from him, who, who he is, brings such delight and joy to us. And as a result, I've been able to make so many trips over there and connect with different churches and different believers. And his life is a treasure, but m- m- so many of my trips over there have made me come home with other treasures spiritually that I am so thankful for. I would never know if, I, if I, God hadn't led us in this direction to um, bring him into our family. So one time I was over there, and I'm driving with this guy, and he's a pastor. He actually oversees a denomination there. He's got a really important position, you know, as far as positions go. It's an important position where he's responsible for a lot of people. And in spite of his position, he travels all over into these small little areas. And every time we go over and the groups that I would go with, he would go with us and drive us around because he wants to be close to where he sees God's hand moving. Now, this guy had been born into a a family that didn't know Jesus. They were Orthodox in a way. There's an Orthodox church in Ethiopia. Ethiopia dates back 1,000, 1,500 years, 1,600 years, and it's orthodoxy, and it's kind of dead. It's sort of similar to maybe the Catholicism that I grew up in. It's, it's about Jesus, but there's, there's not life to it in a way where you go, this is, there's something to this. It's religion. It's not relationship. And so 
this guy born didn't know anything uh, about Jesus into a culture that kind of knows something about Jesus. But uh, a missionary pilot flying overhead ended up landing a plane because he felt like God say, stop and preach the gospel in this village. Stops, preach the gospel in this village. Uh, this friend of mine and his brother come to faith. And at the time, they're like 14 and 15 years old. They're young. But because they could read, this pastor gave them the Bible and just said, you're a Christian. And there was some, they baptized him, and there was some way that the Spirit bore witness, like that they had genuinely been converted. So he said, like, you guys are kind of the pastors. So every week, get together and read the Bible. And because there weren't many people in the village that could read, this guy would read the Bible. And he starts reading the Bible, and more people in the village start getting saved, and they don't know what to do. They're just reading as they're going, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, you're, you know, you're, you're supposed to pray, and you pray for the sick, because Jesus prayed for the sick, and they pray for sick people, and sick people start getting well. Um, there's people in, in Ethiopia, there's a lot of animism. So there's people that are possessed by different kinds of evil spirits, and, um, well, Jesus cast them out, so... He told us Jesus is with us to do the same things that he did, so let's pray for him. And all of a sudden, demons are getting cast out. The short of it, these guys start seeing all the expressions that you would find in the life of Christ and in the early church. So they get to the point where you're supposed to go take the gospel to other parts. So they get in there, uh, they they get their collection together, the people in their village start getting saved, and they go, well, we got to start going to other villages. So they start making little circuits around to other villages, and do you know that the gospel starts to spread? So they've got now a a church in this village, and now they've got a church in this village. And now these young guys, they're 16, 17, 18 years old, now they're just making a circuit around, like looping around, like reading the Bible in these different places and encouraging people to trust Jesus. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all of these expressions of Jesus in his life start to be seen in this area. And it becomes this thing where people come in and they go, what's happening here? And these guys are like, I don't know. This guy flew a plane over, lands it, tells us about Jesus. And we trust him to be a savior. We know we're sinners. And we start to read the Bible. And then we just start to do what it says. You know, God's hands on your life. It took somebody with a PhD to figure that out. God's with you. You know what? You need to go to Bible school. So they go to Bible school. After they go to Bible school, you you need to go to seminary. So they go to seminary. You know what? You need your doctorate. They get their doctorate. And do you know with tears in his eyes, he told me as we were driving down this country road in Ethiopia one day, he goes, you want to know why I come out here? He goes, because I've I've learned too much to, to be effective anymore for God. I can tell you every position, why the things that I saw when I first became a Christian should no longer work, why there's the cessation of the charismata, why these things positionally. He goes, I can come from every angle. And he goes, because my head is so full with so much nonsense, I come out here to get grounded and remind myself that no, Jesus hasn't changed. And he goes, and I've, I've removed myself from the very Bible that I grounded myself in to do ministry, even though I was doing study about it. Do you know it's possible to condition yourself in a way where you get so settled to the way you think things are supposed to be or the way things are because of whatever the, the, the environment is that you are participating in, even as Christians, where it can choke the life of God out. It's not complicated. Some young boys as teenagers realized that and just took the Bible face value and said, that's what it is? Then he saved us, then he can do this too. I want to see a church. I'm a pastor here, one of the leaders. I think this would be a sentiment that all the pastors would share. We just want to see a church that reflects accurately the life of Jesus in the fullness of all that that means. Not like 
We're really smart. We know the Bible. Like, I pray that you get into your word. I pray you feed on it every day. I hope it's something that you know better than anything else because it's the only reality that we have. Everything else that we know, that we think we know, it's going to burn and it's going to fade. The only thing that will stand true and remain forever is the word of God. So I'm all for the Word of God. I'm all, I've got books, I've read, I've done all kinds of study. I can come at things from different angles. But I don't want to get so conditioned in the way that I even get moving and gyrations in my head that I just stop trusting Jesus for what he said. You know, the Word of God tells us that you and I have been given gifts, that your life is an integral part of what the mosaic of Jesus being seen in the world is supposed to look like. It's an incredibly invaluable, undeniably necessary part. If if Jesus is going to be seen in this local assembly, then each and every one of you have got to understand, you've been given a gift. The only gifted people in this church are not the pastors or somebody who stands in the front to sing. Our gift is to help Bring out your gift. Our, our, our responsibility is to help you grow in strength and express the gift that God or gifts that he's given you so that in fullness of all that that means, you can help the light of what he's given you to shine brightly in this assembly and through this assembly into this community and in this community through this state and to the ends of this country and to the ends of the earth. Are we not supposed to be a force of his love and his light that's driving back the darkness? And yet so much of the time when you look around, you go, what's, what's, why is our culture in the condition that it's in? It's not because the church and all the people that make it up are burning so brightly. Ouch. No, I thought that was the politic, political ideologies. No, it's the church being impotent. If the church had power, do you think there would be as much darkness as there is? And if you think that way, you're not thinking biblically. Because when you think of a culture that had oppression, it was the Roman, it was the Roman Empire. And not through sword at least physically, was that empire turned on its head. It was turned on its head. Just like this young guy in Ethiopia, this is his brother. They just started going, this is Jesus. This is who he is. This is what he can do. Then let's trust him for it and go for it. And what happens? Things topple. Darkness begins to get pushed back. Light begins to prevail, and Jesus is glorified. I just want to see him glorified. I want to see him glorified in my life. I want to see him glorified in your life and through your life that this church might accurately reflect who he is in the place that he's put us. Amen? So let's do this. Let's look at a couple of scriptures that will hopefully provoke us to think about things in a fresh way, biblically, so that we can begin to trust God for, I think, how we're supposed to trust him tonight. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, 7 through 11, it says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Hold on one second. To each one. That means to you, and 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 that means to you who are watching online. You have been given a manifestation of God's Spirit. We're going to talk about what that is, and we're going to talk about what that's supposed to look like in your life. But there is not a person in here who's not gifted. You know, when I was growing up, I remember going to school, and like in first or second grade, uh, they started having these little classes where there were a couple of kids that were drawn out of each class, and they would be like, no, they're going to a special class. I'm like, what's the special class? Are, are, they, are they dumb? No, they're gifted. No, they're gifted. Well, how are they gifted? What do you mean they're gifted? No, they're smarter than everybody else in here. I was like, well, how did that happen? Who determined that? And you know what? If they're gifted, then that means I'm not. 
You know, there's only a few gifted people in the world. There's only a few people that are really smart. Then you start playing sports, and then there's like somebody who's really gifted at whatever sports you can play, and you go, all right, all of us are just playing, but that, that person, they're gifted. Somebody's gifted to make money in business. Somebody's gifted to lead worship. Somebody's gifted to play the piano, whatever. People, there's exceptional things that make somebody, and it just seems like there's a few gifted people in the world. And all I'm trying to do is say that's a lie from the pit of hell spiritually because each and every one of you are as gifted as anyone. Jesus didn't, if you put your hope in him, he hasn't passed one of you over. He's gifted each one of you. So now to each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that same Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of those tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. When you look at someone that you think, oh, now they're spiritually, they're really gifted. That's a weird way of looking at it. That, that's actually a, a carnal way of looking at it. There's nothing special about some gift that you've been given. It's just something, a tool that God has given you that will enable you to use the grace that he wants to move through that tool to help others know who he is. So you look at a person, you go, oh, that person's special because look at their gift. No, <laughs> the gifting is irrelevant. He's not, like, more special in his gifting than she is. Like, the Spirit has made a determination. It's sovereign, and it should humble us. Like, no, you're a pastor. You're a prophet. You're, you're somebody who's gifted to help. You are somebody who can lead and administer. You're somebody, whatever the, the fill-in-the-blank is. It's just something that the Spirit of God has chosen in his wisdom to give you because you are going to have this special ability to help impart to others grace in the particular way that he's called you to do it. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is to prophesy, well, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's to serve, then serve. If it's to teach, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. These are just some of the expressions that when you read through Scripture, there's 22 different ways that when the Bible talks about gifts that have been imparted to the body of Christ, there's 22 ways of just saying it. But some scholars will say it's not a limitation or there's not just 22. Two, it's whatever the expression of Jesus needing to be seen in the world is. There's, there's some grace, some gift that's bestowed to make that happen. 22 are enumerated. Could there be more? I think that's open for debate. Romans 12 is a chapter you can go to to talk about the gifts. I'm not going to break these down and tell you what they are. It's something you've got to investigate. 1 Corinthians 12 is another place, which was the first one that I read. Now, here's Peter. Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So there's a gift that you've been given, and there's a stewardship responsibility that you have with it. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. 
If anyone serves, then they should do it with the strength God provides. So these things are saying, like, whatever your gift is, you can't be sheepish about it, and you can't be retreating. It's got to be, if God's given me a microphone to speak, then let me speak as though, in faith, I believe he's speaking through me. If I'm going to serve somebody, I'm going to do it with his strength. If I'm going to come alongside and show mercy, I'm going to do it with this kind of heart of mercy and compassion that he has for somebody. I'm doing this on his behalf because it's his spirit that's using this gift that I've given to make God's grace real to them in that way. You should have confidence and faith in it so that all of the things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And then the last passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially gift of prophecy. In order to just talk briefly about like the gift that you've received, I think it's important to understand the heart of the one who's given the gift. I don't think you can understand the gift and how to best use it unless you understand who the one is that gave it to you. There's a God who loves us, who created us for relationship and fellowship. He created us to know us and to be known by him. He created us for intimacy. He created us for love. And so by our choice, we break off relationship. We rebel, we retreat. God has to, in his love, because his nature can't change, he has to pursue us, and he comes after us, and he does so, it culminates in Christ. And Jesus comes into the world, and he says with all that he does, the things that he speaks, the, the, the nature and the character that he has, and the, live, the way that he touches lives, in those ways, he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So Jesus came to help us re-engage this Father of love. He came motivated by love. All the things that he did were to demonstrate that love and what it's supposed to look like in our lives in all those different ways. We learn through somebody speaking and teaching. So he spoke so that we would understand the heart of God. His character and his nature, what he did and how he lived, he did it in a way that gave us a picture of, wait, he's merciful. Somebody gets caught in adultery. He comes and covers him over like he has pity for sin. It wasn't just a teaching. He actually demonstrated it with his heart. If somebody needed a touch, they were blind, they couldn't see a leper that everybody would run the other direction from. He came up and he would embrace and he would show incredible pity and, and again, love. All the things that he did were done so that we would understand this God who we don't see and how desperately as a father he loves us. The ultimate expression of that, Jesus on a cross. By taking our sin, by taking our record, by taking our punishment, he buried it in a grave. And in that grave, those who put their hope in that, their sins are remembered no more. And this God who is holy and full of love, no longer angry at us, can come to our place of greatest need and by his spirit begin to live. And Jesus said to the disciples, after this is all said and done, you don't want me to go, but it's going to be better for you that I go. It's going to be better for you not to have a picture on the outside, but a living reality within that will help all of these things that I've taught you and all these things that I've shown you and all these things that I've wanted to impart to you. They're going to become alive from within. Look forward to what's going to come and wait for it. And so they do. And on Pentecost, the Spirit of God has poured out Jesus as the Father sent the Son. So now the Son sends the Spirit. And the Spirit is sent for what purpose? The Spirit is sent so that we would be able to make alive all the things that we know to be true, all the things that we hope to experience in the, in the nature that we're supposed to walk in. This Spirit would begin to do that for us. He came to do in us what we could never do for ourselves, just as Jesus did in his lived life. He, he's, he, he's come to be that living reality within. So I say that because this is so important. 
When you begin to think about gifts, you can forget about the greatest gift that you've already received. The greatest gift that you've received is the Spirit of God. It's the down payment guaranteeing one day you're going to see him face to face. And he is everything that you need in this life to live. The Bible says, Peter said, you have received all that you need that you might live this life out in godliness and holiness. Like, why is that? Because his life is in me. He's given me his spirit that that spirit might make Jesus everything in me and through me. Now, that spirit bears fruit in my life, right? How do you know the measure of a person? It's not by what they do. It's by who they are. You want to know the most mature person? It's not the person who can stand and sing and preach. It's the person who bears his likeness in the way that they live. That's important. Distinguish between if you're really going to go for something, don't go for some like gift that makes you feel like somebody. Go in a way that from within, as you yield to his life in you, he bears his likeness through you. Love and peace and patience and kindness. Those aren't gifts. Those are the realities of what come out of us as we receive and depend upon the gift that we've been given. But as we're living in that way and cultivating a deeper walk with that presence which we've received, then Jesus starts to be seen in his character. And Jesus and and all that the Spirit does in reminding us of what he is and all that he's proclaimed, we, we know it and we begin to proclaim it to the world that's around us. And so we have this character that now has a foundation from which to proclaim the hope of the world. But then as we begin to reach out and touch the world, this is where the gifts come in. Jesus sent the Spirit so the Spirit could be all of this to us and that the Spirit in us would begin to impart those gifts, which he's given to everybody, so that all of us together in receiving these little, a, a gift, is a, in one place it's called a spiritual in the, the scripture, in another place it's called uh, a grace. Well, well, let's just remind ourselves, what's a grace? Grace is just God's love and action in our life. So you've been given some gift from God to be used by the Spirit as he leads you into whatever you're going to be led to serve and to give. As you are led to serve and give, he imparts this ability to you so that through that ability, as you apply it and you touch the world that you're in, you touch this church and you build the body of believers up, as these passages were saying. Why have you been given a gift? It's to help build up through God's love being made active and alive in you and through you to help strengthen the overall picture of what God's doing here in this church. So you've been given a gift. Is it an important gift? It's an incredibly important gift. It's an essential gift. Can, can, my, can my foot stay balanced without my toes? It's impossible. Can I continue to walk around without limping if I don't have toenails on my toes that keep my toes from getting damaged as I'm walking and they're taking shots? No, the toenails are there to protect it. Like, are those toenails important? The toenails are important to keep stability on my foot. The toes are important that uh, I might be able to stay balanced as I walk. My feet are important so I can get from one place to another. My legs give strength to holding up the top part of my body that gets me from point A to point B. I need my chest. I need my arms to be able to engage the world, which all support my head, and that's Jesus. And so if Jesus is at the head of this and he's made us all part of his body and we're all part of these mosaics, which help to comprise this picture that's being expressed in the world... And you start to take seriously who you are in him. Like, I am not, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. And I've been given this incredible relationship. And I'm called into loving him. And as I'm loving him, he's imparted these abilities, these graces that are so special.
special that if I will start to see and understand, wow, how can I start to use these things? And as I start to give place to it and I start to reach out and touch whatever I think I'm supposed to touch, then grace comes through me and brings strength to the people around me. And what do you know? As everybody does that, this thing that we call the Brooklyn Tabernacle, this expression of a, of a local assembly of the body of Christ starts to rise up and become Jesus in a visible way. But that can't happen if you think you're a toenail and you have no value. You've got incredible value. You've got incredible value. The Spirit of God does not impart something to you that isn't incredibly important. It's important. You're important. Not you're important, but you're important. You can't make something of you. This has nothing to do with you. This has everything to do with this Father that Jesus has revealed to us, that the Spirit is making alive in us, and the Spirit is privileging you to partner with so that we can help to make that, that love known here in our local assembly, to strengthen the assembly so that we would be assembly full of the love of God, that we might walk in the fullness of all the power that we need to represent Jesus in the world. But the gifts, if you notice as you read through Scripture, they're not just for the local church. You'll receive power on high so that you can know him, so that you can be like him, so that you can build one another up in him, but so that you can go into the world and make him known. We're a church left in this world because there's a world that's living in darkness that needs to see the light and the love of Jesus. And how will they see that in power if the church doesn't rise up? There are people sitting here with all the gifts that you can read about in scripture. I'll tell you this, I have to be honest and say, I don't see the full expression of that. And I don't even want to get into some debate. Like, well, you know, let's, let's talk about this theologically. What do I know? From what I just talked about, and the reason I gave, partly gave the backdrop that I gave was to say, has the mission of the Father changed? Has his method changed? No, it's Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's given his spirit to his church so that through his church, Jesus, in the fullness of all that he is, would be made known to the world. That's not going to stop until Jesus returns. And until Jesus returns, this passage of Scripture says that you and I are to eagerly seek after the gifts. For what purpose? So that somebody will sit and point him out and go, did you see the prophetic word that he gave? Now that brother is close to God. No. Listen, people can express different giftings and abilities, and they can be nuts, and they can do it in a way. I see some people shy away from gifts because they've been misused. When I first got saved, I grew up Catholic, and so there's no talk about gifts in the Catholic church. When I got saved, my sister went to a church that was all about, like, gifts and all these different expressions of gifts. And when I went, I didn't know anything about anything, but I was reading my Bible, and I was watching what was going on, and I'm like, this is nuts. You know, in Corinthians, when it says if you're speaking in tongues and there's an unbeliever that comes in and you're babbling on and there's no interpretation, like they're actually going to think you're nuts. So don't do that because that's not decently in an order, an expression of worship that God will honor. Like it actually gets in the way and makes things complicated. People can get nuts in the church. It can be sincere. It can be about Jesus, but it can still go off. But just because it goes off doesn't mean we're not still called to go for it. Because this passage said, continue in love and eagerly seek the gifts. It's part of the same sentence. But we go, okay, no, we're supposed to love. Let's love. But isn't love messy too? Wasn't Paul and his relationship with Mark kind of messy in the Bible? Didn't they have a break for a while? But if you follow up with Paul's life in the end, like Mark was back in the picture. Well, the thing got worked out. It takes work. 
But just because something goes off doesn't mean you stop. And just because you've seen some poor expression of some gift doesn't mean you don't go for the biblical thing. And all I'm trying to do is, I'm not trying to be a charismatic church. I'm not trying to be a Pentecostal church. I'm just trying to encourage you to be biblical in your belief. The Bible's charged to you. It's an imperative, which means it's a command. Pursue love and eagerly pursue gifts. Well, why would God want that? Because the manifestation of grace that each of you have received is necessary so that Jesus can be fully manifest. Unless I don't know what I'm talking about. I I think that's a clear application of God's word to our situation, isn't it? And and here's, here's where I'm done. We're supposed to eagerly desire, not just each of you have been given a gift, like every one of you, take it to the bank, each of you has a gift. And as I'm saying that to you, I hope you understand what your gift is, because someday you're giving, you're going to give an account for it. I love when I, I talk to guys who aspire into the ministry, and I go, so it seems like you want to be a pastor. Well, I, you know, I don't know, gee, golly, gee, I just don't think I can, I, that's pre- sort of presumptuous. I go, it's not presumptuous, it's, it has nothing to do with you. If you've been called to be a pastor, That's a calling that God's given you, and you better square up to it because you're going to give an account for it someday. That's false pride to act like, oh, golly gee, shucks. Humility is, God, what have you said, and I'm going to do what it is. So whatever it is, do what it is and begin to trust God for it. But don't think that it's just some static thing. I've seen in my own life, I didn't even know what gifts were. I remember I was in a Catholic prayer meeting with my mother. I was like 19 years old, and I was, I was with these blue-haired old ladies in a, in a, in a, in a, in a mass church, and we're there on a Friday night, and my boys are out drinking, and I'm, my mom's like, you want to go to a prayer meeting? And I'm like, oh, okay. So I go, and I don't even know what to expect because I didn't know there was such a thing as a prayer meeting. And when I go, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I get this, I didn't know about gifts. I had no idea. It was overwhelmingly, it was this profound impression that I'm supposed to tell some guy that I don't even know that he shouldn't do some business deal that he's about to pull the trigger on. And I was like, I think I need to leave this meeting. Like, I'm now losing my mind. Maybe these people are nuts and it's having a rub-off effect. I couldn't escape it. And before we left, I walked up to the guy, and I'm like, you know, I don't really come to these prayer meetings. I don't even know you, and I don't even know if you're in business, but I think I'm supposed to tell you something. And he just starts crying. He goes, what do you have to say? And I go, you're about to do a business deal that you're really confused about and you don't think you should move forward in? And then he starts bawling. He's like, yes, I've been praying, I've been fasting, I've been waiting, I don't know. What's God speaking to you? I'm like, this is God? (laughs) He's like, yes, I think it is. This is no, God God does this. He he speaks to people. It's called a word of knowledge. And I was like, I don't know about a word of knowledge, but I don't think you're supposed to do it. (laughs) So I tell him that, and I walk away, and I was like, okay, this is wild. I don't understand anything about this. I don't know what's going on, but... A couple of weeks later, I ended up going back with my mom, and that guy was there, and he sees me. His name was Jerry, and he's like, come here! And I give him this big hug, and he, and he goes, you don't realize how God used you. He goes, I, was, I, was, I would have lost everything, because this is what happened after you told me that. This is what really was going on behind the scenes, and I didn't know. But it wasn't until I said no and I walked away that it got exposed. I was going to get it. I, was, I, I would have lost almost everything I've worked for. I was like, wow, what did you say that is again? It's like, read your Bible. 
I didn't even know what that was. Kind of like those guys that are in Ethiopia. They're just trying to love Jesus and do the best that they know to do. But they're trying to look at who he is and what he says and just follow it. I think that's all he's asking from any of us. But tonight he's reminding us this. You've been given a gift. And you need to exercise it. You have to be a steward of it. One of these passages said, you've been given a gift and you need to be a steward of it. What does that mean? Do you remember the parable where Jesus spoke about talents that were received? He gave one, ten. He gave another five. He gave another one. Goes away. He comes back. The master's looking for a return. The ten doubled it. The five doubled it. And the one buried it. Do you remember what happened to the one who buried it? Was, Was God giving him a high five? Or was he like, get away from you, wicked and evil servant? You can figure out the application of it, but I'll just tell you this. If you're the one talent person or 10 talent person and you're bearing it, you're literally robbing Jesus of the picture that he's set you apart to help project into your world. There's a responsibility that comes along with it. We've been given so much. To whom much has been given? There's, there's some sort of return that God's looking for. And so what do we do with it? I just want to pray over you today. I want to invite you. If, if you're not clear on what your gifting and ability is, I'm going to ask you to stand up. I want to come forward. I want to pray with you. If you're kind of clear on what your gifting is, but you've buried your talent, you're not in a good position before the Lord. You're not in a good position before the Lord. God's not saying it's all right. He's saying we need to get this right. You buried your talents. If you're an active member of this church and you're not serving in some way, you're not exercising, these gifts are given to build the church up. It's not given for you to go figure out outside the doors of some church how to figure it out. God's, you can do that. That's, That's part of the calling. But central to these gifts, this scripture teaches, is to help build up This church, if this is your church, and if you're here visiting from another church, then you need to stand, if you're not a part of that church, and begin to put yourself in a place where God and humility can begin to use you. I'm not trying to get everybody to come forward. I just, I I want to make these appeals. The third appeal is this. You've got some gifts. The Bible says eagerly pursue more gifts. It's not a one-off that you're given. Some are given five, some are given 10. But even if you've been given one, it doesn't mean there's not more to come. But you got to position yourself to receive it, which means in faith, you got to reach out for it. If you're here and you're saying, I want to be able to express the grace of God in as many diverse ways as I can, I long for him to use me greater even still. You want more gifts? We're going to pray over that as well. Don't we need him today? We need him. And as much as we need him, there's a church and there's a world outside these doors that needs you to need him. The Bible says we're supposed to earnestly seek after. What's that look like? It looks like what you're doing right now. As you do your part, God's going to do his part. Tomorrow, even maybe when you leave here tonight, you're going to have opportunity to maybe express what you feel God's stirring in your heart. How do you you earnestly seek after? You ask him, but then you look for opportunities where your heart gets stirred to give and to serve and then reach out with whatever that might mean. That's just practical. But before you get practical, you have to 
you have to trust God that he's, he's imparted something. So would you just would you raise your hands right now and begin to thank him for what he's given? I'm not saying you understand what it is that you've received, some of you. But his word says if you put your hope in him, he's given you. It's a done deal. You've received some spirituality. You've, seen, you've received some sort of grace. It's there. Now in your own words... Thank him, but begin to ask him, if you're not clear, to show you. We're going to pray for you, but you need to ask God yourself. This is something actively you've got to engage in. And if you've buried your talent, then right now say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for burying my talent. God, I need you to forgive me, but I need you to begin to help me to step out because I've buried it. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're just discouraged that the gift isn't what it should be, and so why bother? Just take a second and wait on him. Thank him. Thank him for what he's received, what you've received. Thank him for the spirit. Thank him for the gifts that you've been given. Thank you for the privilege that you've been positioned to exercise those gifts in this church and in this world. That he would consider you someone that he would trust to help make his grace alive in the lives of others. What an incredible privilege. Jesus, we thank you for it. We don't deserve it. We know who we are. Who are we, Lord, that you would use us? God, we're humbled by the treasures that you've given. Now, God, help us as a church to use those treasures in a way that build others up. It's not about us. The gift is not about us feeling special that we've, given, we've been given something. It's about us and the love that we've received being able to use that to build others up and to receive from others what you've given them to build us up. So it draws us closer as a family. It's what unites us in this faith that we have in Jesus. God, help us to be a church that serves in our gifts one to another, giving and taking, receiving and giving, that life might flow from the head all the way down to the toe. God, we thank you for it. It's a mystery. Even as we try to talk about it, God, it's overwhelming to think that we're included in something so special. But God, as you strengthen this church, and we pray that you would, God, I pray for gifting to be released in a fresh way over the people that are here, God. I thank you for what you've given, but God, I thank you for more that can be given. And we don't look for more just for the sake of an experience. We look for more that we might be able to use the gifting in the world that we're in, that in so many, uh, in so many ways with a variety that we see even through your life, Jesus, on the pages of Scripture, that we would be able to touch this world and then it would be confronted with the reality of the Father's love. God, help us to do that. Give gifts that we might be able to give back. God, this isn't anything we can stir up, but it's something we can call on you to receive. Come on, can you lift up your hands even now just as a sign of reception? God, we're a people ready to receive. Not for the experience in the moment, but we're ready to receive that we might get to work. We'd be agents of grace, God. People that would impart your love in an active way in the world that you've put us in. Help us, Jesus. Help us for your namesake. And God, help us to have humility. and Be mindful when those expressions of grace come out. It's not about how special we are. It's about how special you are. And it's about how much you love the people that you're using us to touch. 
keep us in a posture of humility that we might give you all glory and we might give you all, all honor. Help our church, Lord, to function on all the notes that it should. In every way, help us to make Jesus seen. If that's your heart tonight, that's your longing, can you just say amen to that? Amen. amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Let's thank God for what he's done, but what he's going to do. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do, God. We're excited for how you're going to move. God, even in this week, we have opportunity, Lord, to exercise those gifts. Use us, God. And if we're not clear on even what those gifts are, I pray for people that you would help them to be diligent, to study your word, to understand what the gifts are, and to trust you for what they mean. Do these things again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And listen, before you leave, would you take a second, shake someone's hand, give them a hug, tell them you love them. See you on Sunday. Sunday, we're going to be serving communion. Look forward to celebrating that with you.